Welcome to Did You Check the Lore, a Supernatural TV show podcast. That song you just heard is Intermundae by Caron, the intermission and trans- transition. I'm going to fuck that up all the time. <laughs> Music you heard last week is Intermission by Thomas Fats Waller, but is better known for its use in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The outro piece is De Tranquilitate Anime by Caron. And during all this shit is weird, we probably illegally use the theme song Teen Girl Squad from Homestar Runner Strong Bad Emails. The intermission music is not copyrighted, but the tracks by Karan are available on the Free Music Archive. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica. And I'm your other host, Gina. So before we get into the meat of today's episode, we have a a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. It's been about a month, I think, since we uh, had the music episode, so we apologize that uh, it's been a while. We also uh, made an announcement on Facebook about this, but just so everybody knows, we did uh, decide to scrap the episode on cinematography. Um, yeah, that was going to be that was going to be so much work. Uh, yeah, trying and, to get that done, and we're it not. Just, yeah, we're not pros either. So, yeah, by no means. I mean, we both took intro to film classes yeah. like years ago. Um, so we couldn't do it justice the way we wanted to, so we decided if we can't do it the way we want it, then we don't want to do it at all. Right. I mean, we barely managed the music episode. Yeah, that was a shit show. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, too. Um, the second thing that we also announced on Facebook is that we are making the decision to retire the podcast after the end of um, the season two that we are currently in the process of working on right now. Yep. The decision to do this uh, sucks. Yes. Um, but we're both crazy busy. Gina's got a baby. Gina's working a shit ton. A new job. Um, new job. And um, I'm still working. I'm starting my master's in the fall. And it's a two-year program nonstop. I don't get breaks. So mm-hmm. I won't have, uh, like, summers off to invest in the podcast like I had oh. with my undergrad. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wow, that explains a lot. Um, That's why it's two years. I'm so dumb. Uh, No, it's fine. (laughs) And then, like, just thinking about it, we would have to do so much work on the off-season, and last off-season, I had Liz, and we just, like, I wish I would have had more time in the off-season. Like, I watched season two very closely and tried to take Mm -hmm. as many notes as possible, but God, that was, I would have had to have rewatched the season, like, ten times over. To take yeah, all of the I, notes I, easily, I wanted to. I easily rewatched season two at least three times in the past year. Yeah, and that's nuts. Like, that's a lot of TV to watch and to not do... On top of the TV that I already watched. Exactly. Or video games you want to play or writing that you want to do. Jesus Christ, I overcommitted yeah. this year. And, like, all of that is just, why are the fans on my computer running for no fuck reason right now? God damn. this laptop has been amazing but it just the fans do weird shit sometimes anyway uh continue (laughs) um i think you wanted to touch up a little bit about uh the music episode oh yeah so i would like to apologize for the recording quality on that we i guess for a music episode we should have not recorded in in a non-soundproof room not that my basement is any better, but like, I just, it would have been a much cleaner episode if we had recorded separately, just with having two separate tracks to edit. Oh, yeah. um, your track and my track. We, we do double enders. Here's the, uh, some of the behind the scenes of, of what it takes to record a podcast and make it sound nice. And then having people that aren't in the same room together. I don't know how to make a podcast sound nice with people in the same room. <laughs> But I don't understand how that works. I think you use mixing boards so that different microphones don't pick each other up. I, I don't get it. Um, but when it's you're way over my head. Yeah. When you're in separate rooms, especially when you're 360 miles apart, it's actually a hell of a lot easier to make both tracks, Jessica's mic and my mic, sound way crisp. And um, it took some practice, but we learned it. So I kind of regret not doing that for a music episode. Of, of all episodes. <laughs> of all episodes. So, um, I also fucked up on a couple of things, technology, or not technology, but terms and, um, terminology was the word I was looking for there. 
I conflated parallel and relative minors again, like I always do. Um, so sorry about that. I missed a spot where there should have been transmission music. I transition. Why do I always call it transmission? What the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom. Or zoom, zoom, as they like to say. Uh, transition music. I was in such a hurry when I was editing that damn thing because we recorded it like a week before it ever even got posted probably almost a week and a half before it got posted because i was we recorded it right after i got into town um in wisconsin and and then i couldn't edit it the whole week because we were in a very tiny condo with my mom and my husband and liz uh, and my baby um and like i just didn't have the time to focus on it for an entire week after that and then right after i got home I tried my best. Yeah, I tried my best to start editing it over that weekend because we went home on a Friday. I had Saturday and Sunday, but like I didn't end up having any time and I was pooped from the week. I always Mm -hmm. need a vacation for my vacation, right? Um, So I was pooped after that and didn't end up. And then I started my new job on Monday. And so I hardly had any time. I like I shoved all of the editing as oh, and I had to do additional recordings, too. Yeah, I had to add in. We fucked shit up. Oh my god, yeah. Um, I had to add in some some extra piano playing recordings because we did not prepare properly for that episode. So I apologize no. for all of that. And all of that is a great example of why we're hanging this up. We cannot dedicate the time and research we want to this podcast to do it the justice we want to do it. Maybe in another life. <laughs> And once people are done with education and uh, raising small children, we'll be in better places to to do this sort of thing. But for now, um, it's a we need to take a break and then come back to this. We might do something in the between where we just kind of get together. The two of us get together and babble about stuff because that was the whole here point we're getting tangenty but i want to talk about this because we we've always mentioned we wanted to talk about why we started a podcast and we've Mm -hmm. never done that so maybe this is a good opportunity we um i won't tell the story of how this came to fruition but jessica and i have been told on numerous occasions that we're really good storytellers especially when the two of us get together and we like banter back and forth about stuff and we were once told (laughs) by jimmy no less that we should get together and actually like put something together intentionally to like do something on stage where we just get together and talk about shit. And that was a while ago. That was a couple years ago that that, that happened. Two years ago. Two, two, three two years ago. Three actually now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then that whole that was in the spring, and then in that whole rest of the year, I was like, man, what could we do? Where we I don't want to get on stage, but like, what could we do together? performance-wise almost, where we, like, tell stories and just babble together. And then I came up with a podcast. I had just started listening to podcasts probably that year. And then well, I was like, well, wait, wait, what would we talk about? What It couldn't just be, like, a podcast of Jessica and I just fucking babbling. Nobody would listen to that. That would be stupid. Well, that's what this stupid podcast ended up turning into anyway. <laughs> but at least it had a topic, and it was about supernatural so that's you know we both had this mutual love for this show so we wanted to talk about that unfortunately the first season's format got old fast and so we tried to do a new format with season two and it's still just now we realize just how much effing work it would be however i think the original idea that jimmy had is still a good idea in that this would kind of be kind of be riffing off of like Kim and Brianna's podcast. Um, oh yeah. Where they just get together and they just talk for a half hour or 45 minutes. Not even sometimes they only have like 20 minute episodes where they just talk about shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be kind of fun. Um, yeah. No, that it, That's something I could definitely entertain um, where it's not um, as intensive on the amount of research and right. scripting and background knowledge required or we can just i can just talk out my ass like i want to right exactly and that's kind of what we wanted to be able to do with this podcast and then we realized that was dumb (laughs) that's not gonna work nobody's gonna want to listen to that so all right all of that aside (laughs) 
after we've got this episode, which is going to be uh, about character development and themes. We've decided to scrap cinematography, like we said, and we are smashing character development and themes together into one two-part episode. (laughs) So we've got two more episodes left is what I'm trying to say. This episode and the next. And the... The reason why we're smashing them together is because, one, we've crunched for time. We need to finish. We we really only have enough time before Jessica starts school again to do two more recordings, this one and the next. And so this episode is going to be all about Dean, his character development, and the themes. We'll obviously talk about John and Sam and maybe even a little bit of Mary. There's Other characters will come up, but the focus will be about Dean. And then... Next episode, which we will hopefully record in two weeks, we should be able to, mm-hmm. will be all about Sam and his character development and themes. So, without any more babbling, I can't promise that for the rest of the episode, but for now, we're going to move on to Dean Winchester's character development. So, as Gina said, we're going to start things off with Dean, because the season begins very Dean-focused in the first episode. Despite his cavalier attitude, we learn that Dean is absolutely not ready to die. We know from the previous season that Dean has a strong sense of duty, which is a common theme that will continue to pop up, and the re- uh, which the Reaper also tries to appeal to, but it backfires because Dean is not ready to leave his family. His trust and loyalty are also challenged when John reveals something to him that the audience isn't immediately privy to, but we know is alarming based on Dean's reaction. He's so conflicted about what John's told him, he straight up lies to Sam that John didn't say anything before he died. Yeah, and this is where we begin to see more of Dean's self-defeating and and toxic tendencies surface. Um, He refuses to accept his own fate, and he's just as stubborn when it comes to the fate of those he loves. He grieves inwardly and becomes sarcastic as hell as hell as a result as a result of that. Um, to be fair, grief isn't like a linear path, though it's very cyclical in nature. Um, but Dean fails to stay on that cycle. He constantly falls off the wagon. Um, true to his stubborn nature, you know that's just like his backbone. <laughs> um, but it causes further friction between him and Sam. He's in such deep denial about his own grief that he projects his lack of coping with it onto Sam. We see it a lot of times where he's just throwing it back in Sam's face. Yeah, grief is definitely a repetitive uh, theme that continues not just in season two, but throughout the entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this instance of Dean's grief results in what I think is one of the saddest moments of season two, mm-hmm. where Dean destroys the semi-restored Impala. We know how much Dean cares for the Impala and gets pissed off if anyone lays an ill-intended finger on it, just like when the trickster let all the air out of the tires. (laughs) So to see him get so emotional that he damaged something so dear to him just goes to show how deeply hurt and confused he was. It's almost how you'd expect a child to throw a tantrum when they're upset since they don't know how to process or express their feelings. Yeah, that's that was hard to watch because that's like the one thing that still ties him to John now that John's gone again. Mm-hmm. Like, he... Yeah, that they just found John after, you know... Everything several, they've been through. Yeah, like, yeah. Anyway, so we get um, introduced to some very blurred lines. Fuck that song. Um, <laughs> in the third episode, with the introduction to... Or of the character, uh, Gordon Walker. Who's amazing. Mm-hmm. I like Gordon is such a polarizing character. I love him. I mean, he's an ass. Sterling K. Brown. But Sterling K. Brown is the best. Anyway, um, Dean uh, bonds with Gordon right off the bat. He agrees with Gordon's black and white perspective of all monsters being inherently evil because they're not human. And that's a, it's a very core theme of the show. I was talking about this a couple episodes ago, that Manichaeism or Manichaeism, I don't remember how to pronounce it, um, that it sets up the theme regarding everything in that black and white 
lens, light versus dark, good versus evil. It's it's very a very clear line, and Dean sees everything very clear cut that way. Um, if it's a monster, it's bad, and it has to die. And Gordon is of an exact copy of that mindset, but to a fault. I think Dean's, Absolutely. Dean's humanity, which is a very strong part of his character, definitely prevails in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, that similarity does breed a common ground for Dean to be a little bit more vulnerable and open up to Gordon, yes. which he hasn't done with anybody since John's passing. However, when it Sam gets brought up in the discussion, this is where you say Dean's humanity plays into it. Mm-hmm. He's not as similar to Gordon as he thought. Despite knowing that Sam's got these psychic abilities, Dean's not so quick to lump him into the monster category. It forces him to reconsider his perspectives on light versus dark, good versus evil, and the way he was raised to kill all monsters no matter what. Yeah, and this that actually kind of shakes Dean's faith in his belief system. That lack of certainty, 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 I can't talk today. That lack of certainty just doesn't sit well with him. His belief system is so strong, and it has allowed him to confidently make the right decision almost all the time. But now, shit's gray, and it's messy and unclear, and he hates that. He seeks to find grounding in his knowledge and experiences when Sam wants to visit Mary's grave. His knowledge tells him that this grave doesn't mean anything. It's just a, sta- a slab of stone placed by an estranged family member. It like That doesn't mean anything to him. His experience tells him that an empty grave is meaningless, and the idea of visiting it is irrational, at least to him. He again reaches for familiar ground by wanting to continue the hunt for yellow eyes. Like He, he needs tangible things, right? Um, mm-hmm. His He's fa- totally letting his past inform what he wants to do right now. Exactly. Um, but Sam gives him an out and says, yeah, you know what, fine, go to the roadhouse without me. I'll meet you there later. Um, but Dean snubs it. He yeah. is like, nah, fine, screw it. I don't want to be with those people. I'll go on your stupid road trip. But you can still see he's so torn of that certainty of the past, of what's familiar to him, of his knowledge, his experience, what he's comfortable in, mm-hmm. and the unpredictability of the future, what makes him so uncomfortable, but forces this growth that we get to see. Yeah, it's almost like how, I'm going to, this is a little tangential, it's kind of similar to how John has these um, constructs in his head about what his family is like. Dean also has those constructs about... Um, Right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. That growth takes a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. For Dean. He's stubborn and won't give up on those beliefs that have that he's relied on. Like, mm-hmm. that belief system has gotten him really far. And th- that sense of duty uh, kicks back in and he finds a case to work. Like, that's how both guys kind of do this when you when you think about it. Even Sam does it, especially in later seasons. Uh, he, They both tend to rely on keeping their heads down and just grinding on, right? So mm-hmm. Dean tends to shut his emotions away. And even though he's like really hardcore grieving John, the way he processes it is by trying to prove to himself that he's okay after John is passed and tries to treat it very cavalierly. It's like... So, despite him trying to prove that he's okay, we know it's just an act. We've seen Dean be emotional and empathetic with others experiencing loss and grief, like Lucas in Season 1, Episode 3. Dean's still trying to reconcile his feelings on John's passing, and it continues to take it, or he continues to take it out on others, whether it's aggressively smashing the Impala, or sarcastically implying a father has necromanced his recently passed daughter back to life. In that episode, Sam tries to call Dean out on his bullshit for probably the millionth time. Finally, Dean kind of snaps, and he goes to cope in his favorite way by drinking himself into a stupor. But then the next day, he's back to working the case. Um, and once he finds some pretty valuable evidence, he turns he returns to the hotel room and sarcastically rubs it in Sam's face that he found an actual case and knows how to do his job. 
yeah, he was pretty pissed that Sam kept questioning him on his ability to be competent mm-hmm. as a hunter. Right. Um, but we know this is just a distraction for Dean. When they go to confront the dead woman's father, um, who Dean is like absolutely judge, jury, convict, um, and what the fuck? And judge, judge, Judy, and executioner. Judge I, all, Judy. All I can think no. of is hot fuzz. <laughs> when, when anybody says that phrase now, anyway, judge, jury, judge, jury and, and executioner. executioner. Yes. Um, he is absolutely certain that this man has resurrected his daughter. Um, he becomes belligerent. He refuses to back down despite saying, being, you know, Dean, look, there's no way. He's not seeing reason that this man has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you can see the wall start to crumble on his face. Uh, you see his emotions overwhelm him. It's displayed as anger, obviously, but that's just the primary emotion. Behind his anger and fueling it is fear and pain. Fear at what has been unleashed on the world. Pain for the loved ones he wishes he could see again. Yeah, and just to, for a frame of reference, we're talking about children shouldn't play with dead things, right? That's kind of the episode yep. we're looking at right now. Um, mm-hmm. We're kind of picking out pieces through the episodes as we go along here. Um, that lashing out that Dean does um, results in another confrontation from between him and Sam, and Dean gaslights the shit out of him. Uh, he downplays mm-hmm. everything that's happened says it's not a big deal, and that Sam's overreacting. He's doing everything he can to remain in control and be fine. I'm air quoting here, and you can't see it. Um, Which is the biggest crock of shit ever. Uh, It's not until Sam calls Dean out exactly on those behaviors and reframes it from his own perspective that he can't lose his brother on top of everyone else that he's lost. And then once Sam says that, Dean finally backs down. Just a little bit. He admits, he finally admits to being a bit of an asshole a bit and gives a sort of half-assed apology. He does this in the moment, unfortunately, just to pacify Sam so they can get back to the real problem of solving (laughs) this uh, vengeful zombie issue. Once they get the zombie out of the way, though, Dean officially cracks on the drive out of town. He pulls the Impala over and gets out takes a seat on the hood. We finally get a heartfelt apology. We learn that Dean's been guilt-ridden over John's death because he's figured out that John made a deal to save Dean in exchange for his own life in the cult. I just hate seeing Dean get so hard on himself. I know, and and he he bears the weight of the world, like, all the time. He doesn't want anybody else to deal with it, too, because it's it's almost infantilizing. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, it comes up later. Yeah. So, (laughs) in episode five, that light versus dark good versus evil debate kind of comes back into into the spotlight. It's highlighted so well from Dean's perspective since he's been experiencing an internal conflict on this. Like, what makes somebody good? Dean can't kill humans, like, good people. Is it who they are or what they are? Those questions that he thought he had very hard answers to are no longer simple answers. It's not just the, the same equation as supernatural being equals evil equals must kill, right? It's It doesn't work that way. Not only does Dean have to convince himself of this for his own sake, but for Sam's sake as well. And that's very starkly played out in the episode, uh, Simon says, where Andy and Ansem, both individuals with supernatural powers, not unlike Sam's, but they both have wildly different motivations and intentions. Andy turned out to be harmless, if albeit a little bit creepy. Ansem, on the other hand, was a piece of shit. <laughs> a murderer. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he also was, like, borderline, if the show could have gotten away with it, a rapist. Um, yeah. Yep. They just couldn't do that. Right, because weren't they in the alley? He had, he had basically abducted a girl, a woman, rather. No, I think you're thinking of a different episode. He, well, oh he yeah, that's took, no. I'm sorry, that he was took um, Andy's girlfriend, a little like love interest character, mm-hmm. and like took her and was going to make her do things. Oh, gross! Because mind control. Mm. Well, know. yeah, he was going to make her jump off that that dam. Well, yeah, he's going to do that too. But he was being all there, sorts of creeptastic. Yeah, there was some very creepy, gross themes Ugh. being. Hinted at, yeah. Moving away from that. Yes, gross. We get a sense for Dean's regret in episode six 
with his interactions between um or the interactions between him and joe harville who is the shit yes i miss uh, her i do too he tries to explain to joe that despite his ability to find a twisted sense of fulfillment from hunting that nobody would choose that hunting life if they didn't have to um if they didn't have other opportunities waiting mm-hmm. for them and he's trying so hard the show try and kind of hints at setting them up as romantic interests for each other mm-hmm. but in this moment we can see dean come from such a older brother yes perspective or a mentor perspective is that don't choose this life if you've got other options mm-hmm you're smart as hell. You could do so many other things. And we see his remorse that he didn't have those opportunities himself because John started training him at such a young age to hunt. And he shares that he wishes things could have been different for himself and Sam. Yeah. And for anybody that in early seasons, I should say, mm-hmm. tries to point out the fact that Sam got out of the business and Dean stayed in it because he wanted to, is full of shit. Sorry, I'm calling bullshit on everybody's argument there because <laughs> there are several occasions where Dean says he wishes shit was different, where he wishes their lives weren't like that. Fast forward to season 14, we're going to spoil some shit for you. Dean actually says, I'm okay with the people we've become and I'm okay with where we are in life. Dean's but it takes. Dean has grown a shit ton, though. Like, yeah. we get it. So that there's that's 14 years of growth there. Any, right. Anyway. Dean's complexities, like those inner struggles that he tends to ha- just battle with all the time, they come to light in um, episode eight. The theme of family, the themes, excuse me, of family, sacrifice, and death are huge in this episode. Dean's typically the one rushing in to take a bullet for a family member. Um, As mentioned earlier, he's guilt-ridden over John's sacrifice, um, and that it should have been him that died in the hospital. He knows that for a fact now. Despite experiencing that anguish himself, he harshly judges others who make similar deals with demons to save their loved ones. And it's hypocritical shit and selfish. He doesn't want the grief of losing a loved one and would rather sacrifice himself without regard for the pain his death would cause for those very same loved ones that he would rather die in their stead. That he would rather die for in their stead. Excuse me, I had to fix my grammar. That was awful. It's okay. The only angle I could argue on this is that Dean views himself as such an inconvenience and a Mm -hmm. burden to those loved ones that they would be happier and better off without him. Honestly, for someone who has lived as traumatic of a life that Dean has without any reprieve, it comes as no surprise. Right. I could spend a whole separate episode in Dean's psychological state, but we've already had to cut episodes, so that won't be happening. <laughs> right. Moving on in um, the next in episode nine, we get an even deeper look at how mentally affected uh, Dean is. He's really good at making tough calls. He might not always be right, but he's willing to accept that because the burden doesn't fall on somebody else. It's a control thing, right? The only mm-hmm. person that can supersede that, though, is Sam. <laughs> If Sam says wait, Dean tends to wait. Um, if Sam says don't kill that person, he's not. Dean's not going to be happy about it, but he usually doesn't. Um, like going back to season one, looking at Max, right? Yep. Um, again, that theme of family and trust is demonstrated heavily between these two. Uh, Dean goes so far as to imply that he wouldn't want to keep living if the Croton virus took Sam out. Um, he, he was willing to stay behind with Sam in that episode before anybody knew anything about anything. <laughs> he admits that he's tried, oh, that he's tired, very tired. <laughs> That's that speech. Oh my God, fuck me. Um, but once again, uh, his sense of duty keeps, uh, to his family, keeps him pushing forward. Just barely though. Yeah. The truth of what John told Dean before he finally died comes out in, in episode 10. The stubbornness, the cavalier attitude, the control con- or controlled composure, it evaporates as Dean tells Sam the truth. That if he can't save Sam, he'll have to kill him. Sam becomes irate with Dean for keeping something so vital from him. And Dean lets Sam be pissed. He doesn't make any excuses or try to rationalize his actions. Which, 
Ugh. That's huge. He owns his own emotions for once. He knows he's scared. He knows he's confused. And he knows he needs some time to sort things out, which, again, is huge. But surprisingly self-aware for somebody that's usually so emotionally inept. Mm-hmm. I know we're, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent. I know we're not talking about character archetypes much in this episode. Um, and we're not, like, relating Dean, and we won't be doing this much for Sam either. We're not relating them to other fictional archetypes in media or in fiction in general. But you could make a case for Dean being the very classic soldier. And we've and, mm-hmm. and he's been referred to as that, Dad's soldier, right? So right. many times. That's the one area of this episode that we won't really get into. Um, unfortunately, it's just as a matter of time. Like, we just don't have the time to do cross-referencing to other <laughs> media or other character archetypes. So we're going to be focusing on Dean's character itself, not relating him to other characters as much as, besides, like, Sam mm-hmm. and John, I guess. So, anyway, a few episodes later... The question of faith is brought up in episode 13. Dean's kind of an oxymoron. I feel like we keep making that point about him just to then turn around and say, despite that, just like this. So um, Dean's totally on board with the the supernatural, right? He believes in all of that shit. All these crazy creatures exist um, and with stupidly weird ways to kill them. But angels? Fuck that, right? Angels can't exist. They're dumb. <laughs> Sorry, season four is calling. He's absolutely baffled. By the fact that Sam prays every day. I love that about Sam, by the way. When an act that could be described as nothing other than divine intervention happens right in front of him, it it shakes his skepticism. That kind of harkens back to faith in season one, but Mm -hmm. again, there was an underlying reason for why shit was going the way it was. But yeah, if Grim Reekers can exist, why not angels? (laughs) Right, exactly. Whatever. Despite... Things being shaken up for Dean. He's got to stay strong for Sammy. Mm-hmm. In episode 14, when Sam thinks he's going dark side, Dean's quick to argue against it, yep. despite some pretty incriminating evidence. He refuses to give up on Sam no matter what. He'll clean up the messes the best he can and make sure Sam can't be pinned for anything. And there's part of him that's doing that for Sam because he cares deeply for Sam, but he also needs to do it for himself. He's right terrified that sam will go dark side it's that codependency right mm-hmm. and that never ever goes away <laughs> never um, then if it did we wouldn't have a show right right if dean would have let sam die anyway we'll um, there. yeah so the next few episodes don't really have anything monumental for dean we get some rinse and repeat behaviors of his lighthearted nature combined with his adaptability regardless of the situation he finds himself in and Dean uses humor and sarcasm to cope through it all. Like Hollywood Babylon. Hollywood Babylon is like the best ep- example of this, um, where he just assimilates like nothing, and it's a survival technique. Like it's it's how he manages everything. <laughs> yeah, and he's just so cheeky about it all too. Right. But then we get the last three episodes of the season. Ugh. Double ugh. <laughs> Our favorite word is back. Heavy. Heavy. <laughs> it all begins in episode 20. What is and what should ever be, right? That's the name of that yep. fucking episode. And this is a very Dean-centric episode. It's all about him reconciling his feelings about being a hunter and living that life. And as much as Dean likes to shit on the normal life, the second he finds out that Mary's alive and it's John the one that's dead, he goes right in, like... Balls deep of mowing the lawn and drinking a beer sitting on the porch. He is all about it. At first, everything's all sunshine and rainbows. He could not be happier. But then he realizes that all of it is at the cost of his relationship with Sam. And that's where Dean draws the line. Sam is Dean's kryptonite. I I don't think, even if Dean... That changes later. Sort of. Yes. It comes and goes. 
in a good way and in a kind of a weird way. <laughs> we won't get into that because that's like a whole can of worms about shipping that I don't want to get into. No, fuck that. We're not going <laughs> no. down that rabbit hole. Anyway, um, it is a good sign that Dean tends it starts to let other people in as opposed to like not caring about anybody besides Sam. But anyway, right. he might crap on Sam for being a nerd and a health nut and boring with shitty taste in music, which I disagree with. Not that Sam has, not that Dean thinks Sam's taste in music is shitty, but that I think Sam the, actually has, has shitty, shitty taste, taste in music. music. I think the choice of music the writers have given Sam um, over the years is dumb. Anyway, um, it is. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. It's it just doesn't make any sense. They're just doing it to make Sam the opposite of Dean, which is asinine. Anyway, even though Dean gives his little brother very older brothery shit, <laughs> he wouldn't have things any other way. He wouldn't rather the two of them be estranged and living, like, in different parts of the country. He would rather them be together in the Impala, driving across the country together, hunting people and saving... Hunting people and saving things. Shaving people, punting things. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that before. What? That's where all of the... Uh, that's where all of the uh, cool videos if, on Vimeo, oh the, the account on, on Vimeo, the, it's like the production team yeah. has extra videos like the um, hunting with your mother, like the, those yeah. videos were the shaving chupacabra. People sh- shaving people, punting things. Sorry, tangent. <laughs> um, saving people and hunting things in the Impala. That's where Dean would rather the two of them be, other as opposed to... Safe and normal. Safe and normal and Mary being alive. Like, for fuck's sake. He would rather they be where they are now with his mother dead. A person that he so terribly misses and wishes wasn't dead. But then once he sees... Like, I wish they would bring that up more often in later seasons. Pre-season 12. 12? Where Mary comes back. I wish... At the end of 11 and the end of 12, yeah. That was the mm-hmm. finale and the premiere. I really wish they would have... Maybe they do, and I just don't remember. But I kind of wish they would have brought that up more often, that as much as Dean misses his mom, I wish they would go refer back to what is and what should never be. I mean, he be. never makes a fucking demon deal to bring her back. Right. I mean, and that's what I was... That's another, like, uh, discrepancy, what? I guess, of the show. That and this is tangent. This is totally not related to character Gotta development. Got to keep Mary fridge. So exactly. Anyways, yeah. Moving on. Shit gets real in episode twenty-one because our our wonderful two-parter finale. Mm-hmm. We see Dean internally struggle between fear and confusion. As soon as the radio goes out in the Impala, he knows he needs to jump into action and does so with deft ease. But when unable to find Sam in the cafe full of recently murdered people and a trail of sulfur, we can see the terror in his eyes, hear the desperation when he yells Sammy. The urgency and impatience to keep Sam safe is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, motivating forces behind Dean. And then when he can't do it, when he fails to protect Sam and Sam dies, Dean falls to fucking pieces. He absolutely crumbles. He's been fighting so hard to make sure everything would be okay that even in the bleakest moments of Sam dying in his arms, he refuses to accept it. He minimizes and even cracks jokes about it being his job to take care of his pain-in-the-ass little brother. And his desperation in this moment is absolutely heartbreaking. The person that remains after Sam's death can hardly be called Dean. He refuses to eat fried chicken, of all things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't crack jokes. He drinks and he broods. He's vehemently defensive, but at the same time, completely apathetic. He's going through the grief cycle minute by minute. First denial and isolation, then anger, then depression, back to anger, back to depression. Then we get to bargaining, literally. Yeah, his. I think his denial subsists through all of this, too, because mm-hmm. he refuses to bury Sam. Yeah, refuses to burn him. Yeah, or Burnham, rather. So um, then we get the first of many crossroad demon deals through the show. I mean, we had an episode. The reason why we had the episode Crossroad Blues is to set up the end of this season so that we know how crossroad demons and their deals work. Mm -hmm. It also explains how episode one uh, went down 
like John's deal. Mm-hmm. So we're bookended by demon deals, crossroad demon deals, rather. Um, mm-hmm. See, episode one had a deal, and the end of 21 had a deal, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, because then Sam comes back at the beginning of 22. So Correct. Uh, we get the first of many of these deals. Dean summons a crosser demon and agrees to sell his soul to resurrect Sam. This is so hypocritical and so selfish, but Dean's hurting, right? Mm-hmm. He can't com- he can't bear the thought of continuing on without Sam. He would rather sell his own soul in exchange for Sam. And it's stupidly selfish because then Sam is burdened with not only the pain of Dean dying, but having to wait an entire year and be around Dean knowing this the that whole time. Like, mm-hmm. it's all sorts of levels of traumatic. Mm-hmm. And we know thing, uh, we know that Dean doesn't see things that way, though. He thinks he failed Sam and that Sam deserves better. Sam deserves to be alive. Dean doesn't. Dean's a failure. He failed his entire family. He shouldn't even be alive. His self-perception is so distorted and deflated, it's miraculous that he manages to exude any confidence whatsoever. And that's why Dean is so toxic. Sorry, he is. The codependency he has with Sam is terribly destructive to both of them, and yet neither of them, Sam included, can't bear the idea of a life without the other. The very essence of codependency is sacrifice everything for the other, but nothing for yourself. There's no boundaries, no honesty, and outside of Sam, Dean has nothing. Exactly. So plot devices aside, Dean resurrects Sam. He boldly lies to Sam about what happened again. And it's back to business. Go save the world, after all. Upon learning about what Dean did, Bobby reams him like the wonderful adopted father figure he is. Mm -hmm. And he basically points out everything we just did that's wrong with Dean. So thanks, Bobby. He, he just immediately is like, what's wrong with you, Winchesters? Willing to throw your life away over nothing. You just want to run into the fire. Right. Every time. Yeah. And he's like, he. I remember he's holding Dean by the collar and he goes, I could just throttle you. Do you have such a low opinion of yourself? Oh my God. That was heartbreaking. Yes. So. Yeah. Fucking love Bobby. Bobby's the best. Right. So. After they manage to finally thwart and kill Yellow Eyes, sorry, <laughs> Sam pieces everything together. He knows Dean made the deal. Dean tries to dodge the, dodge it when when Sam brings it up. He jokes and grins, but he can't look Sam in the eye and tell and admit to the fact that he lied to him. He, but he does tell Sam that he had to do it, that it was his job to protect him. And Sam can't be mad at him, but when Sam asks Dean, what do you think my job is, Dean doesn't have an answer. He's confused. He has never thought a day in his life that Sam wouldn't do the same exact thing for him. It's so depressing how little Dean cares for himself, and it's why I hate Dean in Purgatory. (laughs) It's why I hate the Amelia storyline, not because of Amelia. I hate the fact that nobody, including certain actors... Jared, who hate the fact that Sam didn't search for Dean. So here's a little bit of a tangent. First of all, Sam did try, but he gave up. And it's what Dean wanted. So why wouldn't Sam do what Dean wanted and move the fuck on? No, Sam's a piece of shit. Anyway, sorry. Tangent done. Tangent done. So with an army of demons on the loose... Dean jumps right back into his cheeky shit and grin, shit eaten grin self. His balance has been restored. Sam is at his side and he's ready to go save the world again. Yay. Yay. So, like, kind of just spitballing here before we before we go into our next wonderful section. All this shit is weird. Dean, I guess we can talk about this in all this shit is weird. Okay. But we can we can talk about growth and things like that. Alrighty, time to move into our favorite segment. All this shit is weird. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, anyways. So, before we get into, like, the goofy shit, Dean flip-flops a lot this season. Uh-huh. That's, like, what I was, like, pointing out with yeah. the fact that he's an oxymoron, is that, oh, he feels one way, but despite that, uh, like, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense with how shaken up his world has gotten mm-hmm. in the past, I'm guessing, year of his life. The things were so constant for a while. And then suddenly... The rug gets pulled out from underneath him. Twice. In the matter of months, John dies for him. And I wouldn't say that Sam didn't just die for him, too. Because, I mean, Sam did what he um, basically was destined to do in this situation. I mean, he, he did his best. I'm looking at... He didn't go dark side, ultimately. Yeah. He he went down swinging. I feel like... I'm trying to think of, like, other stoic... So here's the thing about Dean that I actually really like. Is that for all of his faults, for all of his stoic, toxic masculinity, uh, the dude feels deeply. And I think the stoicism is definitely just a facade that he puts on not for himself uh but for everybody around him does that make sense yeah i'm i'm tracking the other direction i'm thinking of going with this is that like if we're thinking about like dean character type and the the inconsistencies or just his his natures mm-hmm. um as much as unfortunately i'm going to piss off a lot of People who like taking personality quizzes right now. Mm-hmm. The Myers-Briggs or the MBTI mm-hmm. um, personality assessment is shit. I'm sorry, guys. It's just incomplete. It's definitely a starting point, I think. Well, it, from assessment perspective, um, reliability and um, validity-wise, mm-hmm. it's got terribly low statistics. Well, and then people change, too. Well, people people do change. But just if you take it over the course of time, like, I'm trying to, without getting into the statistical or, yeah, the assessment value of it, is mm-hmm. it just doesn't tell you a whole lot about yourself that you don't already know. Um, if you're trying to use it as, like, an analysis tool or an assessment tool to, like, put you into a category of people of things you would be good at or... um jobs that would be appealing to you there are much more valid assessments oh right and like even like work personality type yes. assessments i i took one of those once and it was very um enlightening but anyway the ones that like have good validity good reliability statistics the one that i can think of off the top of my head is the strong job inventory or it's this strong inventory and instead of it assigning you like an acronym or something mm-hmm it pairs you with other like-minded individuals in your field. It yeah. doesn't just look like a, oh, you like these things, so you want to be a dentist. It's like, no, do people who also like these things that you like make good dentists? Yeah, that makes sense. And so, um, and it, it, it does control for racial differences, gender differences. Yeah. So, um, it, Culture, it, um, cultural differences, cultural differences. That's probably the biggest in, in, influencer. I I would argue as opposed so to like tries gender to make and you race. People who are also like you, yeah, literally and personality wise, to attribute. Hey, you would also have a good chance of liking these jobs. Um, tangent aside, um, I still think the MBTI is a shit ton of fun. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I'm trying to find Dean's MBTI. And from what I'm finding, pretty quick here. Yeah, um, I'm looking. Dean is a ESTJ. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. I'm sorry. I 90% of the people I surround myself with are also like INs. Yeah, I don't know shit all about any... Dean couldn't be more opposite than what I usually test. Right. On the... He is actually the literal opposite. I... 
all okay, in, the only thing- I would say all in but judging, yeah. Yeah. Same. Everything but judging is where uh, I'm an INFJ. Same. So, um... Which is like yeah. this, uh, the high emotional empath, right? Yeah, that's that's Sam. Which is Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Sam's, Sam is probably an INFP. I would actually... I think he's an INFJ. Because I think while... I think he actually has a very similar thought process when it comes to interpreting the world around him. So as opposed to perceiving, he judges, right? Probably. I, I, that's, cause he. I'm, I could he, see him waffle over yeah, the course of the show. Maybe, and maybe that's the one of his attributes that he waffles on. I waffle on thinking and feeling. Um, I. I'm very much in the middle of those two whenever I take that stupid test. In the past six years that it took me to get my uh bachelor's in psych i can't tell you how many times i've taken fucking mbti quizzes Mm -hmm. it's fucking asinine the fascination like i get that it's still important to teach sure the 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 foundations of psychological assessment um but i've taken it so many goddamn times and i always get a solid infj which is different from how i used to test growing up Mm -hmm. because i was always fascinated with psych um from a young age and i used to test a harsh isfj in the past oh wow and when i looked up what would cause somebody to shift and it's it's a matter of values so you got your sensing versus your feeling as i learned to trust my own feelings as my guide versus sensing what was going on around me and taking my cues from the rest of the world so Never mind, I'm not going to get my own bullshit. Well, I mean, and I was going to say the same thing, is that I, I used to test as an um, an ENFJ back in the day. Okay. Um, back when I was in high school, because I thought I was extroverted. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking not. Like, I'm really no. not. I am an extroverted introvert. It's a thing. It's a big thing. I think you can still like people and have a lot of fun with, like, the Absolutely. people that you value. Um, and even if it's a, a larger group, as long as it's people that you value, mm-hmm. you're okay with it. But when you're burnt out, you're burnt out and you yeah. want to go, like, be left the fuck alone. And Absolutely. Read a book, play a video game, just play go, be an in instrument. My, be in yeah. my head. Do yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so I find I find those types of analyses on, on characters pretty interesting. And so when we when we look up at, like... I'm trying to think of more archetypes that Dean kind of oscillates between because he he has this very almost childlike approach to justice. It's it's and I say childlike in that it's very, you know, when you teach kids right versus wrong and then they start learning it, right? It doesn't really work with sub 2-year-olds. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But once they start understanding that there there are right and wrong ways to behave, once they've done their testing, right? Once they've done their boundary pushing, their it feels like Dean's sense of right and wrong got emotionally stunted mm-hmm. at a very young age, and it's why when Mary comes back, it's his whole archetype is just his whole character, I should say, is just completely like turned upside down. Because it's, and it's not so much that it's got to do with Mary not being the, that perfect image of the mother that he thought she was, but it's more so about her approach to hunting and her approach to, um, that right versus wrong. Mm -hmm. And so trying to disregard that growth and only look at these two seasons Dean's still very much in a place where as long as it doesn't have to do with Sam and Sam's not trying to convince me otherwise I know what's right and wrong and I'm going to stick to it right except if Sam says otherwise which is interesting when you think about it like Sam is a very influential uh, character and and I've heard Kripke say this, I've read articles that say that, you know, seasons one through five was Sam's story and that, like, Dean was along for the ride. And while a very 
prominent and focal character. When you think about Dean, his life revolves around Sam. Shit, Dean didn't need to go to California and ask Sam to help him find John. Dean Mm -hmm. could have done that on his own. He really could have. He says he can't. It's just that he didn't want to. He didn't want to be by himself, no. Right. And especially without John around to make Dean feel complete, he needed somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Dean's complex. He's fun. I like him. I love him. He says okie (laughs) dokie. He does. It's cute. Um, That's actually, he says that to somebody way later on in like... I don't know. A it's got to be like season eight or nine. Yeah. Okie dokie. I can't see him saying that. Oh, he's, he's, I don't know if he's drugged or. Oh. <laughs> something's, something's going on and Sam's just irritated to fucking back. Oh, wow. And Dean's just being a, a goofball. I don't know if it's the Leviathan, if he ate the Leviathan food. Or oh, whatever. yeah. The burger. The burger. And he, he just looks at this guy and goes, I like him. He says okie dokie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like the... This, I think this is ep- season 12 or 13 where they're trying to find... I think it was 13. And they're trying to find some object in a hotel. This is an example of brotherly uh, sibling nuance, I, I should say. Where <laughs> Dean, where they both enter the wherever they are. I think it's a hotel. And Dean goes, it's here. I can feel it. And then Sam's looking for it later. And <laughs> he mocks... <laughs> Dean, he's like, oh, it's here. I can feel it. <laughs> that's oh that's later. So, okay. Less serious character things. Does Dean uh, have any fun? Or wait, did you have something else? No, we can get my dumb, stupid point. Oh, later. sure. Okay. Well, or if you want to do that first. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that I've at least watched season three, season two, three times in the past year. I also really like another Canadian TV show. <laughs> like I call it Canadian, because it's Canadian and it's important. <laughs> it is, and it and, and I I do consider Supernatural a Canadian TV show, despite it being based from the CW. Mm-hmm. All like all of their shows film in Vancouver. All okay. I didn't know all of them film in Vancouver. I'm, I'm almost positive they do, but anyway. Okay, but I I love playing the this person looks familiar. What else have I seen them in or what else have I heard them in game? Yes. And I thought I caught all the references between these two shows or not I don't want to say references, but just the similarities in actors. Mhm. The show I'm talking about is Letterkenny. Yeah. And the first thing that I caught right off the bat cuz they were I was watching this season around the same time that I uh, Wayward Sisters was really big. Um the Actress Clark Bacco played Patience in Supernatural, and she makes an appearance as Rosie, a character in Letterkenny. And I was like, oh, that's cool, that's neat. And I noticed some other things, like uh, uh, J-Rock from Trailer Park Boys makes an appearance in it. Yes. Uh, Sarah Wayne Callis, I think her name is, plays Lori in The Walking Dead, was in Letterkenny. It took me... Watching this season so many fucking times to realize that Jared Kiso, who plays Wayne, the main fucking dude in Letterkenny, yeah. is Matt Harris in episode four of season two. Children shouldn't play with dead things. He's the asshole boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I, like I was watching it other the other night to work on the script, and I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" And I had to call Jim in here and be like. Does that guy look familiar? Yeah. And he's like, so you're watching Supernatural with your pals the other day. <laughs> so, I had to throw I actually, actually kind of, I get that reference. I understood that reference. I'm proud of you. Yes, I actually at least watched a couple episodes of that show. It's it's, it's funny. It's funny I just, shit. I haven't gotten very far into it. There's not enough time. Not enough hours in the day. Okay, so. What else were you going to say? I wanted to talk about, and we only have a little bit of time left, um, I, well, I don't. I, it just depends on how long Liz sleeps. I wanted to talk about some habits, some goofier habits. Oh, she's actually. You mean awake. the fact that Dean is always fucking eating? 
Yeah, Dean eats all the time. He loves eating on screen. It's almost a Brad Pitt-ish uh, thing of him to be doing. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up because that oh, was the yeah. first thing I thought of. Yeah. Um, but he also does... Time, oh, wait, go ahead. He doesn't eat shitty food. Like, okay, yes, cheeseburgers and beer and fried chicken is not, like, good for your heart. Mm-hmm. But he, it, he's not just going to eat any, sh- like, shit that he finds. He wants it still to be, like wholesome he wants it to be like of like high quality oh yeah i don't think he's not gonna eat garbage uh, yeah he still drinks too much um oh, oh god i mean uh, we, i don't know we, how we he has go back to archetypes died. he's the alcohol right or he's the alcoholic right um okay so what i was thinking of was more like mannerisms okay he does this thing with his hands where he like <laughs> He rubs his fingers on his palms a lot when he gets pissy, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he gets irritated. Um, he, whenever he wakes up, too, it's like a child waking up. He rubs his eyes with the backs of his hands. Who the hell does that? Like, I, you, most adults will use the palm or their fingers, right? I use my fingers. Which is bad. But, like, yeah, dude wakes good. up with his palm, the back of his hand in his eyes. It's kind of interesting. I'm trying to think of anything else weird that Dean does. I had more ideas before I got to this the, section okay, and I forgot. You put something in the notes that I didn't put in here just because it was kind of like not oh, and, character development. Yeah. Folsom Prison Blues. Bleh. Yes. He makes a joke and says, Sammy, don't worry, I won't sell you for smokes. Oh yeah, that's gross. Yeah, it's like he, well, this is this goes back to some points I made I think earlier in some other episode or last year's season um, that Dean's kind of got some toxic like i don't want to say masculinity but like i don't know what it is he just says really off color shit stuff like the whole um but then again like oh great co-heads do we think do you think we'll see a naked pillow fight like that line's gross too that he like thought that the 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 anal probing um, oh the, yeah, the, the trickster. Yeah, he thought that was hilarious. Yeah, like, that's gross. I know. Uh, somebody just got like butt raped. Yeah, that's awful. Um, yeah. Raped. I mean, you don't even need to qualify it. It's just rape. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's a symptom of 2005. Six. That's what I was gonna go with. I really that... think that's a symptom of writing almost 15 years ago. Right. Uh huh. Not being as woke. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how. What else to call it? It's just not woke. We are better off. Well, there are writers that are doing better now. And some that aren't. And some that aren't. And I'm not going to talk about that here. Nope. So everybody should go watch Good Omens. Yes. That's a good, uh, <laughs> that's good writing. I wasn't going to, I was going to mention another show by another person that we know very well. And By who? Uh, Kripke's new show. Oh, yeah. I thought, Sorry. I, I, I don't want to get into it here because I think I'll get reamed for it. I'm, I watched the first episode and wasn't very happy. But anyway. That's okay. Go we'll watch talk Good about Omens. It. Oh, yeah. Everybody go watch Good Omens. Um, that show if you're If you're needing the supernatural fix yes. right now. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's great. awesome. I wanted to talk about more stuff here, but I just don't have any ideas off the top of my head. Again, not having time to like really plan a whole hell of a lot besides what notes we took over the winter. Um, and into the spring, so I guess that's it for all this shit is weird. Thanks for listening! If you enjoyed what you heard here, Please give us a review on iTunes. Is iTunes even a thing anymore? I heard they were getting rid of it. What? I I don't <laughs> I don't know because I don't uh, pay attention to I don't use iTunes um, Apple products anymore, and you don't have to subscribe anymore because obviously we're not doing this after yeah. the next episode. But so. still, give us a like, a rate. I don't know. It makes us happy. It makes us share it. Feel, Tell your friends. Feel like we accomplished something. Yeah. Right. So we're not in it for the fame or the money. Everything is free. Um, we don't have ads or anything. We didn't want to be famous. We just were dicking around, honestly. No, like we um, said at the beginning of the episode, this was just for yeah. us to battle. Kicks, 
Yeah. Uh, but it's nice to have friends share things with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so go share things and make your friends happy. Yay. So hopefully in another, I almost can guarantee it because we have to for the sake mm-hmm. of Jessica's sanity. In two weeks, we'll record our final, final episode. Uh, not only will it be the finale of season two, but it'll be our um, podcast finale. Um, I don't know if we'll do anything special for it. I doubt it because we just don't have the fucking time. <laughs> and we'll be talking about Sam Winchester's uh, character development and themes over the course of season two of Supernatural. Until next time, carry on. Carry on. Dean Winchester's character development. I was making, like, drumming. Yeah, nope, it's fine. I was just waiting. (laughs) So let's do that. Transition music. I said it right that time. <laughs> Tink girl squad. The ugly one. What's her face? Arrows. Arrows. <laughs> okay. Am I gonna do both of these? You. That's what you put in uh, there. Sure. I'll do. I'll do both. Okay. Or, or no, you can do the things for listening. And I'll do the other thing. Okay.